much of significance has happened in the past week in the world of college basketball, but our Candid Coaches series uh, is humming right along at CBSSports.com. We had one question this week about whether Under Armour has passed Adidas and settled into second place behind Nike in the so-called sneaker wars, and the overwhelming majority of coaches told us that, yes, absolutely, Under Armour has passed Adidas in the world of grassroots basketball. Another question we had is about whether recruiting is cleaner or dirtier than it was five years ago. And we're going to get into that one a little later on in this podcast. But let's start with the Under Armour question because the answers we got made it pretty clear uh, that Under Armour is Nike's biggest competition, although uh, folks made it pretty clear that Nike is still far and away the biggest player in the game. It's really not even close. We're really only talking about second Under Armour or Adidas. And again, uh, the coaches told us it is now under armor. So, Norlander, you handled that question. So, uh, I'll start with this. Were you surprised so many coaches identified under armor as a clear superior to Adidas in the world of grassroots basketball and college basketball? Not that under armor was too. I think we suspected that. Were you surprised that the margin was as, as vast as it was? Uh, I'll, GP, I was surprised. And I got to be honest, I thought Adidas would win barely going in. Um, I was talking with Borzello, Jeff Borzello. Uh, shout out just, to Jeff Borzello. Shout out shout to Devin Downey. Absolutely. So Borzello obviously used to be with us. Occasionally would speak on this podcast. He uh, does a lot of great recruiting stuff with ESPN. And he was stunned by the margin. And I told him going in, I thought actually Adidas, it was my, my view of it was that Under Armour was, was really coming hard. I wasn't sure if it was really number two or not, but I knew it was getting close enough where it was a legitimate question, and I thought it was going to be about 55, 45 Adidas. And, I mean, three-fourths of coaches that we spoke to said it's Under Armour, and um, a lot of them in the process basically said a lot of it is because Under Armour is just simply, at this point in time, way more invested, is trying harder, is pitching schools harder, cares more, both on uh, an interpersonal level, on an aesthetic level. Um, I had coaches who are tied to Adidas programs tell me it's Under Armour. I only had one coach currently at an Under Armour school tell me it was Adidas. Um, so it was certainly surprising. And the other, I kind of mentioned it in the story, the, the interesting element to it is these are massive companies. And Adidas it has its hand in so many different sports. I mean, you know. And when it comes to soccer, Under Armour would be laughed out of the room. I mean, Adidas does such tremendous work there and just in general around the world. But within basketball, it's clear right now that Under Armour has made a bigger priority when it comes to the grassroots level and the collegiate level to surpass Adidas, whether it truly has or not. Well, it does in the, in the, in the eyes and minds of the coaches that matter and the recruits to a certain extent. Under Armour is right there. Um, we can get to Nike in just a second. But that, I will say, I was surprised by the overwhelming margin. I wonder if a little bit of it is prisoner of the moment because it's been such a huge year for Under Armour. But I don't think that necessarily means it's incorrect. I, I do think that the coaches put up a lot of valid points. And what I'm expecting going forward here, and in some ways, <laughs> you know, that's 
we'll get into your your question as well. In some ways, it's kind of uh, it's it's a little dangerous in how these shoe companies can be involved in this level because it can lead to uh, to cheating happening without a doubt. But there's also a real benefit to true rivals and competitors in that. To me, college basketball on the whole is way more interesting as a three horse race than a two horse race. So in that respect, I think Under Armour adds an element. Uh, that we've not truly seen before, at least not recently. I mean, it's never been like this ever. And so now if, it, if Adidas can make up some ground in the next year, and some people think it will, um, then I, I personally, I, I kind of tag my story with, I actually think the next couple of years are going to offer us some really, really interesting turns of events um, and ideas and, and just you know, and a general increase in the uh, competitive volatility in the sneaker wars well um for a while to the extent that there was competition it was nike and wherever sunny vaccaro was so like if sunny was with adidas it was nike and adidas and if sunny was with reebok it was nike and reebok um and then of course sunny got out of the game and it sort of settled in where it was just nike and everybody else was um a distant second whoever was in second but under armor to to just repeat the phrase you used is actually trying to compete with nike on a grassroots level they understand that they're not nike and um they don't have the influence that nike has particularly at the nba level but they do have the mvp the two-time mvp and steph curry just like they have jordan spieth in golf bryce harper um, the NL, reigning NL MVP in uh, Major League Baseball. They've got the reigning NFL MVP and Cam Newton. So they have really hit on the right people. Uh, whether that ever translates to turning it into Nike, I'll let somebody smarter about sneakers um, explain that or answer that question. But they are they are trying, and I think um, and and Nike ha- is is starting to react to them really started last year to react to them. And as we're talking about this, I realize there, there might be somebody out there who doesn't have any idea what we're talking about. And so let me try to, to make it simple. Um, what these shoe companies do is they sponsor um, teams, all, summer teams all around the country. And uh, the, the idea is, I mean, they'll, they'll give you all the normal reasons, like, hey, we're trying to you know, uh, uh, get our product on the best players in the country and blah, blah, blah. But they're really just trying to sell shoes and trying to you know make an impact. If you get influential high school kids to wear your shoes, it'll make influential middle schoolers buy your shoes. Like if you talk to Sonny Vaccaro, what he'll tell you is, yeah, um, the, the reason we wanted to put Michael Jordan in Nike once upon a time is because we thought Michael Jordan could be somebody who sold shoes to the masses. But there's a reason why we go put those shoes on the best high school players in New York and the best high school players in Detroit and the best high school players in Philly. And it's because, you know, they're influential in their own little communities. And it's on a much smaller level, but they're influential uh, as well. So Nike has dominated this scene forever and probably will forever. But Under Armour is becoming a player to the extent that they're sponsoring teams. They're putting on events. They've now got more collegiate contracts than they've ever had. And um, I think this weekend is a perfect example. They're doing the Elite 24 game on Saturday night. You can watch it on ESPNU. And basically it's 24 of the best players in the country and in years past uh, Under Armour has owned that date in other words there was no competing event but last year for the first time Nike created a competing event uh, basically one that that offered kids the opportunity to go to the Bahamas really just on the fly they threw it together last minute it was like hey you want to go to the Bahamas come to the Bahamas all expenses paid trip really all we want is for you 
elite basketball player in the country to not be on national television wearing Under Armour gear. And two of the biggest players in the country who, who had previously played in the Elite 24 and then didn't play last year, Harry Giles and Jason Tatum, both of whom are top five players in the country. They might be the first and second picks in next year's NBA draft. They're going to Duke, which is a Nike school. They were tied to USA Basketball, Coach K. You can start to tie all this stuff together. But Nike counter-programmed the Elite 24 for the first time ever last year. And now they did it again this year with another trip to the Bahamas. And then up the ante, uh, for lack of a better phrase, by also taking the uh, any, any person who was willing to not go to Elite 24 and come with Nike to the Bahamas instead, like they went on earlier this week, a trip to the White House. So it's just hilarious that this is where it's gotten. Um, but Under Armour is, they're, they're trying to compete and they are making an impact. And the one thing I heard, and I wonder if you heard this as well, um, from coaches, and they weren't trying to throw anybody under the so-called bus or point any fingers like, you need to pay attention to what's going on there. But I consistently heard from coaches, do a check on how many, quote, Under Armour kids, like who, who are who are played for Under Armour teams or go to Under Armour events, do account on how many of those kids end up taking either unofficial or official visits to, quote, Under Armour schools. Like, they, they told me, the coaches I talked with, said, even better than Nike now. And, and to be clear, Nike does this, and so does Adidas, and have been doing it for years. There's a reason why Anthony Davis didn't consider any school that wasn't a Nike school. There's a reason why Shabazz Muhammad went to UCLA. Shoe companies. Um, but n- they said nobody today has more influence over where kids actually ultimately go to school than Under Armour. And Diamond Stone's a perfect example. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever for Diamond Stone to have ever played at Maryland. That was a straight Under Armour situation. And so I wonder if, if you heard that as well, that Under Armour right now isn't as big as Nike, but over their kids, they have as much influence as Nike has over anybody. Yes, I, I did hear that. Basically, the circle is tighter, tighter with Under Armour, and yes. that might be just a, that might just be because Nike is is so widespread in general that it, it's it's harder to keep everyone in the net, so to speak. But there is that sense. Now, it's not every kid; it's not every five star kid. It is something uh, that did get mentioned to me a couple of times, and the fact is, there is a feeling that Under Armour has works so hard and has some coaches are cynical some coaches are like no that's just genuinely they they invest that much into their players um and it's paying immediate dividends to them that yes there is a certain amount of loyalty that's earned and not necessarily expected with under armor schools i i would expect that attitude to be more to be less matter of fact among coaches and much more I don't even want to say if you want to say cynical is the right term, but in the, in the coming years, if that pattern continues, I would think you're going to hear more uh, certainly off-record comments from coaches to, to us or other outlets or um, some certainly some, some indirect public comments from coaches that might feel compelled if they lose out on the recruits. GP, one other thing I got that I was not entirely aware of that I heard from couple coaches after the fact and even a couple of people on Twitter tweeted at me this um, apparently Under Armour has this strategy where they are relentless in marketing basically five to ten to twelve year olds okay yes. so they want to make 
they want to they want Under Armour to be the only thing they wear, no matter what they're doing, no matter what, and using Steph and Cam Newton and even even guys like by the way like Tom Brady. It almost speaks to an element where Under Armour has at at the same hand they've got Tom Brady that's huge, but they've got all these other stars involved that you mentioned that it's uh it's almost like they could be even marketing it even more than what they're doing right now. But uh, but because of this. People said, listen, anyone that thinks this is Nike's throne forever because it's Nike, they shouldn't be taking it for granted because you could have an entire generation of kids five to ten years from now that have basically grown up loving Under Armour and preferring it to Nike and Adidas so that by the time we get to 2025, who knows how many schools Under Armour will have affiliation deals with by then, and it could legitimately be a situation where UA is as prominent in the basketball scene as Nike. It's hard for a lot of people, you know, we're, and I know we're going way deep inside baseball, but I also felt a lot of fans actually really strongly reacted to the story and have investments in this because they care about the programs, the shoe deals. It can matter. I mean, listen, Notre Dame, UCLA, you've got major schools. Wisconsin have switched out and gone to Under Armour. This can have huge impacts. So I felt like we did tap into something that a lot of people care about. So to anyone at affiliated with a Nike school thinking that it's going to consistently be a distant number one, that just, that might not be the case. And, and, and I, my last piece of, uh, of evidence to that GP that I'll kind of hand off to you is the fact of the matter is this question wasn't even on the table five years ago and would have been immediately dismissed two years ago. And now not only is it, obviously we've shown it was a legitimate question to ask, but Under Armour severely outperformed Adidas in terms of expectations. So for them to have made up this much ground in this short a time should really warn Nike. And there's no doubt about it. Nike is super aware of all of this and will be doing its damnedest to keep Under Armour as far away as it can. But they're coming, man. And that's why I just I think in the next half decade, things are going to get super interesting on a number of levels when it comes to those companies at the grassroots and college level and probably even to some extent with the NBA level. Two points, and then we'll move on. Um, a, the, the point you made about coaches saying, yeah, uh, they told you the same thing they told me. Like, Under Armour has a tighter circle, and they do a really good job, you know, with quotation marks around good. Like, you know, somebody might think it's bad. But, like, they, they do an effective job of, uh, of influencing prospects who are connected to their company to at least seriously consider and often go – uh, to an Under Armour affiliated school. What's interesting is I went to Maryland about a year ago this time and um, spent some time with Mark Turge and I, and I asked him about it because they had Diamond Stone coming on campus. And like everybody understood what the Diamond Stone situation was. And, and really the Robert Carter situation similar. Like Robert Carter was, yes. uh, you know, his, his, his guy, his AAU coach or summer league guy, whoever it was, there's somebody connected to Robert Carter that was connected to Under Armour. And so like Robert Carter and Diamond Stone both ended up at Maryland I don't want to say primarily because of Under Armour because that sells the staff short. I don't want to do that. But Under Armour played a role. I don't even think anybody at Maryland would dispute that. And with Diamond Stone, it played a major role. Um, I talked to Mark about it, and Mark was like, yeah, I'm not, and I won't apologize for it. He actually told me when he started looking at the reasons to leave Texas A&M to take the Maryland job, like it was like you know tradition, like a, a natural – you know the tradition of Maryland – you know, this great basketball program that's won a national championship. Um, you know, another thing was 
Yeah, facilities, obviously. Another thing was the natural recruiting base. You got D.C., you got Baltimore. But, like, on the list, and, like, pretty high up on the list was the Under Armour affiliation because he recognized that Under Armour was becoming um, a, a major, major player. So, like, even Mark Turgeon, who is at the, you know, like, Under Armour's based in Baltimore. You know, it, it's, it's run by a, a Maryland grad. Like, Maryland is to Under Armour what Oregon is to Nike. Without and, a doubt. Right. And so Maryland benefits from Under Armour in, in, in tangible ways. And Tur- Mark Turgeon, I sort of respected this. Rather than try to hide from it like some other guy might, Turge was like, no, no, no. Under Armour is a big deal for us, and I will not apologize for it. Like, you could actually go – I think you linked that story in your yeah. Candid Coaches column. Um, it's there. You can go read it. Like, we, the portion of the column from a year ago is about Maryland and Under Armour and Turgeon acknowledging that it is an important – um, advantage for them. Um, the other thing I, I had other coaches tell me as I was talking to them about this specific question was that if they are recruiting a kid, um, like a high, like a, a high level kid who also has Under Armour ties, like they, 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 they will back off sometimes because they just uh, figure at the end of the day, we might be in the top five, we might be in the top three, but at the end of the day, that kid's probably going to an Under Armour school. And so that is how effective Under Armour is um, in, like, uh, developing relationships with prospects and then, and then building them to a point where those prospects want to or either, for whatever reason, end up at, at Under Armour schools. Um, other schools will back off of a recruit if he's a, quote, Under Armour kid because if he's an Under Armour kid, you probably ain't going to get him to not go to an Under Armour school. Again, that's not across the board, like without exception, but it is it is a true in a lot of cases. The other point I wanted to make is something you just said, because I, I did a whole radio segment on this the other day, just because I, I, I know where I do a radio show, there's a market for this kind of conversation. And um, uh, one of the points I made was, like if you still talk to young adults, kids in their 20s, or even like, you know, 18, 19, the kids at the club, they're still all about Nike and Jordan brand. I mean, like, when, you know, when it's time to go for a junior in high school to go shopping for back to school or a college kid to go shopping for back to school, they're still – Jordan brand, Nike still is king. It's not even close. And as I was having this conversation, I, I kept having parents tweet me who have children under 10, and they were like, dude, my kids are all under armor. My, I have two nephews who are both, I think they're like between six and 10. So they're old enough to be like into sports, but they're still under the age of 10. Both of them, all Under Armour. You ask them what they want, Under Armour shirt. Ask them what they want, Under Armour shoes. Ask them what they want, Under Armour shorts. It's all Under Armour. And so what I consistently heard from parents of children 10 and under is exactly what you were told. Um, yeah, Nike still dominates and Nike's still big with, with young adults and high school age kids, but when it comes to, like, kids' kids, the ones who are going to be high school age kids a decade from now, Under Armour is dominant at that level. Yep, and the only thing that I was told that Under Armour has gotten better at but still needs to get consistently better at um, is apparently the actual product of the shoe um, is still not at the level that – I think a lot of players and coaches would say is like truly elite. And that's something I'm not aware of, man, because I'll be honest. Right, I own, how like, would I know? Right. I, I own like two pairs of shoes and actually I think one's Adidas and one's Nike. Um, but apparently like the state of the Under Armour shoe five years ago was not good whatsoever and it's gotten better. But that was the other thing. I don't know if I included any of those quotes in my piece, 
But I definitely had, I mean, I had at least seven or eight coaches say, uh, or at least a few that said Adidas said it might be Under Armour if the shoe was better. So that's the last, I think, immediate thing that obviously Under Armour is aware of is that the shoe is probably acceptable. uh, But for what, and you know what, I don't even think this is specifically tied to like the new Steph Curry's or anything like that. I think it's just in in general, it it might be aesthetic and actual uh, quality overall. But yeah, man, it it should be interesting. And this all ties in, by the way, if you want to segue to your question, where we listen, we do a we do a cheating in college basketball question. I feel like every other year because one, it's an element that's constantly there. But I also think it's a pretty interesting topic because it's not. I, I can people can get way pessimistic on this, and their vision of what cheating is in college basketball, I also think, can be a bit archaic. Um, it definitely happens, but we ask coaches, is it worse, is it cleaner or dirtier than it was five years ago? And what I was surprised by was we didn't even give them this option, Parrish, but the the majority answer that one was is it's about the same, which doesn't exactly give us a clear indication, but we certainly had plenty of coaches say it's dirtier and many more than said it was cleaner. Um, but if you want to go into it, yeah. it's not – when people think about that and the headline might grab you, it's not completely sinister or just, you know, it's not coaches handing money to, to kids on the side in a paper bag or anything like that. If anything, it's got more to do with how they might be tied to an agent or how a shoe company could really get their uh, tenter hooks into them, you know, when they're 14, 15, 16 years old. Right. So the question was a simple question. Um, is recruiting cleaner or dirtier than it was five years ago? And most, not most, 49% said about the same. Only 14%, perhaps this is the better way to, uh, to frame it, only about 14, only 14% said it's actually cleaner. So that means 86% said it's either just as bad as it was five years ago or worse. And 37% said it's worse. But, and I don't, I don't want to say they all said, but what I heard more and more, and I wonder if this lines up with um, what you heard, is that it's yeah, it's about the same, but it's different. The cheating is different. In other words, you're exactly right. Uh, the casual college basketball fan, or just sports fan in general, has this archaic idea of what cheating is. Like they're still holding on to blue chips without recognizing blue chips was like 22 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it. You would be naive to think that there aren't still coaches out there handing out cash you know, doing stuff like very basic stuff like that. I'm confident that happens. But at the highest levels of the sport, uh, from talking to coaches, and, and really this, isn't, this wasn't eye-opening for me as much as it was a confirmation, um, it's mostly agent-driven and it's mostly shoe company-driven. In other words, I'll just say this. Um, like, think of the top five recruiting programs in America, whoever you think they are, because I don't want to start naming names because fans will start – thinking we're calling them cheaters. Whoever you think are the best recruiters in the country, recruiting at the highest level, getting the most players, the best players. What I consistently hear from coaches is, yeah, they have things that are working for them, to the, but they're not out there doing it. They don't have to. Like, it, it's in, you know, basically I was told eight out of ten kids who are top ten players in America, before they even get to high school, they are tied to an agent. I had one coach tell, uh, say, hey, he said, hey, if you want to go through it, let me make some phone calls. We'll go through the top 10 player in the country list right now. 
I'll call you back tomorrow, and I can tell you which agent they're tied to already. Like, I guarantee you, I had one coach tell me, I could predict tomorrow where Markel Fultz is going to sign when he does his one year of college, where Michael Porter is, you know, like these, uh, or, you know, Harry Giles, Jason Tatum. Like, if you're that level player, again, I'm not singling those guys out. I don't know anything about Harry Giles. Uh, agent situation i'm just saying what college coaches will tell you is about eight out of the top 10 every year every year are already tied to an agent before they ever get on a campus and so college coaches will have good relationships with certain agents um they'll have no relationships with other agents but like you can you can rely on a certain agent to to maybe send a kid your way because he knows you'll protect his asset your job is to keep the other agents away keep that kid focused on me that way, when it's time for him, you just give him back. Hey, I'm going to give him to you for eight months. You give him back to me. Don't let anybody else get close. And then the shoe company, same type of deal. Um, I don't think anybody believes, and I hope that it's not coming across this way, I don't think anybody believes a shoe company executive is telling somebody explicitly, you have to go to this school. It doesn't work like that. But do they limit the options? Do they, um, do they frame certain schools in certain ways? Absolutely. And so uh, I guess the bottom line would be, you know, is cheating still happening at the at the at the high major level at all levels? Let's be clear at the division two level as well. But at the highest levels, it's so sophisticated and so layered that it's not your traditional suitcase full of money situation. It's it's so much more complex than that. Yes. And it also and then you see, and this is where, I mean, personally, I don't get too riled up about it, to be honest. Maybe I should. I know I used to. Um, but when you're working at that kind of level, I don't know. Yeah, is there something, I guess, wrong about it when the choice is in front of a kid or when, you know, 10 schools chasing a top five kid? when seven, seven or six or seven of them might not have even a legitimate shot, even if the kids got them on their final list or something. On a, on a, on a basic level, that is obviously uh, unfair. But I also think the reality of the situation is, and I think a lot of coaches understand this, is simply you're going to lose some but get others. And so the game, to a certain extent, balances out as much as it's going to balance out in your favor, depending on where you are in the food chain. Like, no matter what you do, you know – if you're, you know, a middle of the road Big Ten school, you're not going to compete except for the most rare of instances where you might land a five star kid who happened to grow up 10 minutes from your campus if you get lucky. That's the only that, way. That's the only way you circumvent it with the top 10 player in America. That is really it, man. That's, oh, well, that's, or unless, of course, you hire his father. I mean, that's, that's what exactly You can what hire his say. father or you can get a kid to stay home. But if you are a middle of the pack power five school, and you're trying to recruit with Duke and Kentucky and Arizona and Indiana and programs at that level, North Carolina, you right. can't get that done. You, unless, you, unless you do something to get it done or the kid just yeah. happens to live near you. But outside of that, those, school, those are the only schools competing for that type of kid. So, I mean, just broad, broadly speaking here, Parrish, um, yes or no, do you have an issue with the amount of alleged and assumed cheating that happens in college basketball at the highest levels, let's say top 20 programs? 
I mean, I have an issue with it in the sense that um, I, I wish it I wish it wasn't so. But, you know, I, this is the once you try to force amateurism, like the system to its core is flawed. And Jay Billis sort of made, a, you know, he retweeted our our candid coaches question earlier and, and sort of made this point. Once you recognize that college coaches are making several million dollars per year in some cases to win basketball games. And folks are selling out arenas at 18,000 seats. In, in Kentucky's case, obviously more than that. Once you recognize this is big business and the best way to win is to get the best players, you are creating a scenario where people are going to do things to try to get the best prospects. Like it, it is, you know, it, you don't have to cheat in the NBA to get a player. You just have to offer him the best contract or draft him. But in college basketball, once you say, hey, you can't pay the players, but we'll pay you millions of dollars if you get the best players, there, it's, it's set up for cheating, right? So, like, I have a problem with the – I have a problem with amateurism when this is big business basketball. Mm-hmm. And once, as long as you try to hold on to that principle of amateurism, this, this never goes away. Like, you just can't – this is the only way it goes. The money rolls downhill. Somebody's going to catch it every time. Where the money comes from, that can change. Who catches the money, that can change. But it's always going to be in play. There is, like, you could hire a hundred more NCAA investigators. You can fire Donnie Tindall and Bruce Pearl and whomever. But as long as, as, these, three, as, long as these things are, remain constant, coaches can make millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars winning basketball games. And... And, and, but they cannot pay the players can't be compensated in any real way as long as those two things remain the same cheating will forever go on so uh yeah i mean i wish it wasn't the, the case but it'll all there's like it's like wishing that uh i don't know i don't want to make a, a bad analogy it's just like it'll never change as long as those two things yeah. are the same the cheating will never go away um and how do you how do you do away with it like if and not every aau program but you talk to coaches, I, I'm sure they tell you the same thing. A lot of the premier AAU programs, they're, they're, they're tied to agents. You know, they're, they're funded by agents. Agents have their – you know, there, there are guys who run AAU teams who don't do anything except run AAU teams. Yes. And they got, and nice, house, they got nice homes, really it, nice cars. And it's – I mean, honestly, like, it's so much deeper than we could – well, 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 let me, let, well, let me put it this like, way. I'll try, it, to, I'll try to make it as simple as I can. Like, okay. They got to – and the thing is, like, they got to – kind of dance with the devil with a lot of these AAU programs and these coaches or the people that fund them because honestly those programs are and those coaches and the people around them can be significantly important when it comes to being right there with the kid almost as much as a parent sometimes even more so than a parent because a parent will trust an AAU coach to understand basically the <laughs> the world that is college basketball and recruiting because what you'll sometimes have parents who are just so super super sweet and they want the best for their kids but they don't even understand like what's going on they don't know what rivals and 247 sports are well let me take it a step further um i mean we're dealing with basketball here and i'm not stereotyping as much as i'm just talking in 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 reality a lot of these kids who are the premier players in the country they don't have um you know, they, they come from pretty less, you know, they come from less fortunate backgrounds. 
Uh, they might not have a, in many cases, they don't have a father around to be a strong father figure. The mother's working two jobs, or maybe she's not. But these, these kids don't, um, and again, this is not across the board 100%. I'm just saying often. These elite-level recruits that we always talk about, um, they don't always grow up the way, say, my children are growing up with two college-educated parents in the home, all right? Derrick Rose doesn't come from the same place I came from. So it's not always that the parents just trust the AAU coach. It's that the AAU coach becomes the, 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 the powerful figure in the, in the life of that young person. So, mm -hmm. uh, like, let's just take it, you know, sort of up the ladder or down the ladder. You got a guy who runs a summer program. I don't care whether he runs it in Memphis or Philly or uh, Detroit, Cincinnati. doesn't matter. Dallas. He runs a summer program. That's his job. Like, my job is to talk about sports, write about sports. Your job is to? His job is to ha run a successful summer basketball program. All right? Nike pays him to do that. Under Armour pays him to do that. Some agent pays him to do that. But either way, the way he pays his bills, the way he puts kid, uh, food on his kids' tables is to run a successful AAU program. What's he going to do to, to get players? Anything he has to, right? You, got, you need to say, hey, kid, you need a cell phone? Play with me this summer? I got you a cell phone. And, and keep in mind, when you're dealing with 15-year-olds and 16-year-olds, 17-year-olds, you don't need to – it's not $100,000. Kids just want like a, a – a, you want a PS4? Get you a, get you a nice gaming system. You want a flat screen for your room? You want to drive my car every once in a while? In other words, once you, once you understand that a man who has no other career has a career that's tied to winning uh, – to, to, to holding, uh, running a high-level summer basketball program – well, he's going to do whatever he has to do to get those players, all right? So it starts at that level. Then how is he getting those players? Because, I mean, how is, yeah, how is he making his living? Because Nike's funding him or Under Armour's funding him or Adidas is funding him or an agent's funding him, all right? So now he's indebted to them. So he's just got a top 15 player in the country that he established a relationship with, you know, got a, you know paid for helped his mom out with a light bill, whatever. Now, he's got that kid. He's known him for two years, traveled around the country with him, so on and so forth. Now it comes time to, it's that it's kid ready to go to college. Well, remember, the agent's been taking care of you. The shoe company's been taking care of you. So you want to return that favor. Hey, where do you need him to go? What do we need to do? So you steer him, guide him where you want him to go. And it's not always as explicit as you can't go to this place, you have to go to this place. You know, kids are kids. I, could, I got a 13-year-old. I could walk in his room right now and make him think um, Ryan Lochte's the best dude in the world or Ryan Lochte's the worst dude in the world just by me talking to him. I trash Ryan Lochte. My kid thinks Ryan Lochte's terrible. I say, you know, Ryan Lochte got into a bad spot. He's really not a bad kid. He just messed up, did some stuff, but he's not, he's not an awful human. My kid will walk out of the room tomorrow talking about Ryan Lochte and as bad as everybody says. You can make kids think whatever you want them to think. So these guys do that, right? So then – Yes, a college basketball program coach is benefiting from that, but it all starts much, much sooner. And so how do you, how do you, how do you stop that? How do you you can't. No. You simply can't. No, there's no stopping that. So, like, uh, do, I ha do I wish that kids would really um, look at the academic side of a university and, and what's actually the best situation for them? Sure, of course I do. Um, I also wish there were no war in the world and there were no hungry kids in the world and cancer wasn't around either. It's just not reality. This is the system that's been created. And as long as the system is this, 
We can ask this question every other year, and we're going to get similar answers every year. What will happen is that they'll tell you new ways that people are doing things, which is, which is what we got here. But are there always going to be reasons outside of the reasons the NCAA would like to tell you exist for, for elite-level kids picking schools? Yes, it's always, always has been and always will be. Yep, pretty much covers it. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, – it's the, this, is, this, is, this is college athletics rooted in amateurism. Once it becomes big business, like once – and let's be fair. Our network is paying a billion dollars for, you know, for an amateur event, then you're turning it into big business. And once it becomes big business where you have AAU coaches who can make money off these people, agents who can make money off these people, shoe companies who can make money off these people, college basketball coaches who can make money off these people – once you once as long as you agree with all that and acknowledge all that, then there's just no way there's no way to stop this. You can catch the ones who are dumb enough to get caught, um, but in terms of like cleaning up the system, uh, I don't know. They've been trying to do that for a long time, since blue chips, right? Since well before blue chips. I mean, even yeah, and even just, before. All right, real quick, mm-hmm. just like ninety seconds here. Yep. Uh, actually, as we're recording this, I gotta start really watching and writing about the Olympics. But I know you're loving the Lochte story. Love it. Okay, so what is your theory as to why he would have lied about this? Because it has to be a consciously lying situation. Because even if he was, even if he blacked out to that point, you're still afterward. You're, I mean, what are you doing on the beach with Billy Bush saying that you got a gun cocked to your forehead and you're just like, whatever? Like, what? What's he? he I, I refuse to believe that it's just simply the easy way out and that it's Ryan Lochte is just that dumb and thought it would work. That's not it. That's not the answer. So what's your theory? The only thing that still um, puzzles me about this entire situation is why you tell a lie to begin with. Because like that, the common theory like earlier today was, well, they told the lie about the armed robbery to cover up the gas station incident. It doesn't cover up the gas station incident. It only brings more attention to the possibility of another incident. Like why he got on the phone with his mother and told that story, which led to his mother retelling that story. We're in a taxi, get pulled over, people acting like cops, put a gun to my head. Like that story, I can't for the life of me come up with why you would come up with an armed robbery story. And to be clear, I'm not trying to tell you there's no reason to ever use an I got robbed story that isn't true. Like, for instance, if you are a drug dealer and, and, and your supplier, not that I know much about this, but if your supplier you know, gives you, I don't know, let's just make it easy, $1,000 worth of drugs, says, all right, go sell it and just bring me back my $1,000 and whatever you got above and above, you know, above that, you keep that. That's the way this is going to work. Cool. And then you either do all the stuff yourself or you don't you hand it off to your friends but they don't pay you. Then that might be the time to say to your supplier, "Hey, I was in, involved in an armed robbery. Like I was bringing you your money. Uh guys got me at the gas station. It's not your fault. I know that. So I'm going to get you your money. Don't worry about that, but if you're wondering why I don't have your money right now, it's because I got robbed." Perfectly reasonable time to use a fake armed robbery story. Or like if you're, I don't know, you've got a, a, a joint checking a, uh, account with your wife and you go to the casino and lose three grand. And she's like, where do you lose this three grand? You say, I didn't, I didn't really lose the three grand. I actually won a thousand bucks. I was coming home with four grand. 
and stopped at a gas station. Guy puts a gun on me. I had to give him everything I had. So, woo, just be glad that I'm alive. Like, that's a perfectly reasonable time to use a fake armed robbery story, right? Why is Ryan Lochte using a fake armed robbery story? My question is, so I was... Uh, like, why do you this, have to lie to your mother at 32 well, years so old? Here's, and here's the thing. I haven't seen anyone really lay out, and I don't know if the timeline makes sense. Um, but when this story broke, I was not next to my computer, so I, I don't have the full grasp of this. But what, I, what I'm trying to determine is, did he call his mother, tell this story, okay, he did that. Why does he do that? Okay. And does he think it doesn't go beyond his mother? And if that's even the case, what is he hiding there? Okay. There's something he's hiding from his mother there. Don't know what it is. But then she tells some sort of reporter, I think based in Australia, who then blows the story up. Right. And then at that point, it's this weird, okay, I'm doubling down on this thing because I wonder if at that point he had already had his interview with police. There had not been anything that had yet come out that would go against his story. Okay, so that so then he doubles down before it blows up in his face. My last thought is, okay, even if that all happens, how and why do you convince three other people to go along with this? Okay. I don't even get how that even happened. Okay, I've thought about this way too much. You're about to understand that. Um, even if you tell your – okay, the only thing I – again – uh, the only thing I don't understand at this point is why Ryan Lochte ever told his mom he was involved in an armed robbery. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, even if he was, like, trying to cover up – I don't even understand why you have to have a like, – I don't even understand why you're talking to your mom. Like, really, you're 32 years old. Just text your mom, tell her you love her, and you'll see her when you get home. I don't even understand why you're talking to your mom from Rio, but whatever. Um, what she then tells an Australian reporter, and it becomes a big media deal, there's still a way to salvage this, Right. You, you just get on the phone with your mom and you say, Mom, I know I told you what I told you. And, yeah, that really happened. But the problem is uh, the USOC had told us. That, I mean, they could not have been more clear. Do not go out. Do not stay out late. Be careful. And it's not so much about me, but I got three young swimmers with me. They're going to be in the Olympics again in four years, whether I am or not. And we, d- we, d- um, we, were, you know, we just ignored what our instructions and disobeyed their orders. And so here's – um, here's the deal. I'm going to have to come out and say that you just were goofing around or that you don't know what you're talking about or whatever. And, and I'm not trying to make you look bad, but I've got to save my boys careers. And you just, your mom just has to take the bullet and you come out and say, no, I don't even know what my mom's talking about. We weren't robbed. There's no big deal. The idea that he, instead of that, tried to double down on the story and go like talk to Matt Lauer about it is just bananas, right? Because here's the, here's the other problem. You know, they're talking about they know exactly what happened. We get pulled over. Guys are acting like cops. Tell us to get on the ground. Three other guys get on the ground. I tell them I'm not getting on the ground. I haven't done anything wrong. They put a gun to my forehead. I say whatever. They take our wallets. Well, the problem becomes, okay, we're trying to figure out what we need the taxi driver to, like, corroborate your story or, like, you know, help us understand what happened. What color taxi were you in? Uh, Not sure. How you remember all that other stuff? You don't remember what color your taxi was because it ain't like an Uber. Like it could be a red Corolla or a green Impala. Have you seen this taxi? The video? Yeah. It's the most yellow taxi in the history of taxis. It couldn't be more yellow. The idea that they remember all that other stuff, but they don't remember what color the taxi is. Ridiculous. Beyond that, there's video of them coming back into the um, Olympic Village. 
They got their watches on, got Yeezys on. Well, that I, that doesn't bother me, GP, because that was the other thing. It was like they did, they were saying they didn't look like people that had just been robbed. I mean, dude, it's like six thirty-seven in the morning. They weren't like they weren't like bouncing through the metal detector. So that I found. Bogus. No, I don't mean that. I, I don't mean that. Like they didn't look distraught or shaken. Um, they had their watches. Yeah. If you're involved, if you're involved right. in an armed yeah. robbery, you, you know, like I don't know, I never been in an armed robbery, but I would assume the whole point of an armed robbery is to get as much valuable stuff as you can. Wallets. Oh wow, you got a nice watch. Give me that watch. Oh wow, you're wearing Yeezys. I want those Yeezys too. The idea that they're walking around in Yeezys and, and nice watches, like it was just like, what are you talking about, right? And so I just don't understand any of it because once you tell that lie, then all it does is make people ask more questions. Oh, really? Wow, your poor Ryan Lochte. He got robbed at gunpoint, had a gun on his head. we got to figure out what happened. And then what it does is it creates this, this situation in Brazil where they want to, okay, if this happened, we'll have to deal with it. But, man, can we prove this didn't happen? They're aggressively trying to prove this didn't happen. And then it turns out the actual story is you're pissing all over the gas station? <laughs> like, what in the world? Like, but beyond that, what are you doing? You're 32 years old. Why are you pissing on the walls in a gas station, tearing up? I, and I listen – I know the explanation for that is he was really drunk. But, like, I've been really drunk. I ain't pissing on bathroom walls and, like, tearing up a door. Like, it's you just. sure about that? I'm 100% sure about that, Norlander. <laughs> it's not what I do. Uh, I know. It's just, listen, I just wanted to tap into that real no, quick. No, it's like. It's really one of, like, you just, every time you think, yeah, we've just, we've seen it all in sports, you get a story like this. And it's just ridiculous, and and I'm just in the middle of like I'm writing about the Olympics for the site, so I'm in I'm in the middle of this watching CNN and a police chief speaking Portuguese and being it being uh, translated by this woman overseas. It was it was a surreal moment for me today, and I just kind of stopped and was like, what am I even doing right now? Wow. It's just uh, it's bizarre, and clearly there's an element we don't know yet. Maybe by the time we do the podcast next week, but. Uh, but yeah, that was uh, that was an all timer for sure. It is an all timer, and what's wild is that this is a guy who is like, as you know, the the second most decorated swimmer in history behind Michael Phelps. Now there's a big gap between him and Phelps, but but he's like on the list, he's second, and yet I don't know that people ever thought of him that way because his his existence lines up with Phelps, and he's been completely overshadowed in that way. But um, if like now that, that like he will never be thought of as that. No matter what happens, like, this is the Ryan Lochte story. Yep. Though This is what, like, hey, name association, um, Nancy Kerrigan, what do you think of? You think of that. Tanya yep. Harding, you think of that. Ryan yep. Lochte, you're going to think of this. And even though all three of the people I just named are, like, amazing, uh, you know, international athletes, um, that is not what they're known for anymore. Nancy Kerrigan's always that. Tanya Harding's always that. And now Ryan Lochte, second most decorated swimmer in history, is the guy who pissed at the, on the walls at the gas station and then made up a story about it. It is bananas. And I'm so appreciative of it because it helped me get through two days of radio, if nothing else. And one last thing, we'll sign off with this. I, I, I wonder if you thought about this, but like, I, I bet like if this had been 2012 or 2008, before we had the kid, like he and Phelps are boys, like to the point where Lochte was enjoying kind of like just teasing Phelps, saying he would come back, he's going to come back, and Phelps would be like, he doesn't know what the hell he's talking about. So, like, I wonder how close this would have been at any other time to Michael Phelps also being there. Because if that happens, as big as this is now, Whew. oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, forget about it. Forget yeah. about it. 
So I just wonder if even Phelps had like even a half second hesitation if he was going to go out that night, decided not to. <laughs> and has even thought, I just, I would love to know what Michael Phelps has been thinking. this. No, nah, I saw the picture. Phelps is back at home, like in his backyard, in the pool with his wife and kid. He's just, he's chilling, man. He ain't get involved in this stuff. So it's yep. like, it's, it's been an unbelievable story. And like you said, by the time people even listen to this, we might find out more. But the one question, the only question really at this point to me that remains unanswered, why did you ever tell that lie to your mother? It seems like such an unnecessary story. And what we might find out is really he just, he's just silly. Like he just like makes stuff up and told that story to his mom. But that's the part that I can't, uh, I haven't been able to make sense of yet. Anyway, remember, you can subscribe to the Iron College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the uh, latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Thank you all for listening, especially if you listen to like the last 15 minutes. <laughs> and uh, we will talk to you again uh, next week. Till then, take care.